So, Will. Yes? The plot of this movie. (laughs) I like how you said it like you weren't sure if it was a movie. (laughs) The plot of this novel? (laughs) It's it's interesting. Um, Centers around um, someone stealing one of the pieces of Stonehenge. Saying it centers around that is very generous for this movie's plot coherence. As much as there is a plot, I'll put it this way, the evil plan centers around the theft of one of the stones of Stonehenge to power a magical commercial. I cannot wait to talk through this movie. (laughs) But it begs the question. It must be discussed. (laughs) It begs it. It demands. (laughs) If you were to steal a famous piece of monumental architecture from around the world in order to power your evil plan, what would it be? So I think my plan, stealing just isn't feasible because it's too big. Well, it wasn't for Stonehenge. Yeah, Stonehenge is not nearly as big. Because what I think you would do, my evil plan would involve somehow turning the Nazca lines into an electrical circuit. Did you read the guy who wrote the Alex Ryder series, I think? Okay. Also did a young adult series that was very dark about, like, teen delinquents who have to protect the world from being overtaken. And there's, like, the old ones is what they're called. And then they are the Nazca lines. <laughs> like, the no. giant animals of the Nazca lines, like, stand up and become eldritch terrors. I've never heard of this. I cannot remember what it's called for the life of me. I will investigate. But yeah, so my... I feel like my evil plan, I would somehow want to do kind of electrical circuit with the Nazca lines to power a doomsday device. Maybe it would be the doomsday device from the first Captain Underpants book, where Dr. Diaper shoots a laser at the moon, and his plan is to blow up the moon, and then it'll crash to the earth and, like, kill lots of people. So I think that's what I would do, but instead of, like, a giant ruby, I would get my energy from a Nazca lines electrical circuit. And this feels suitably convoluted to be in the spirit of this week's movie. Well, I mean, that's certainly true. I, honestly, it's more straightforward than anything in this movie. <laughs> um, wow. So, my first thought is to use the ancient Tholos tombs of Mycenae, as discovered by Heinrich Schliemann, to reanimate the Trojan horse. The Trojan horse was never animate. Or, I guess, animate the Trojan horse. <laughs> Bring it to life and then have it rampage through the Greek countryside until I'm paid one million dollars. Honestly, the crazy thing about this movie, he gets no benefit. There's no actual benefit to him for this. That's the thing we have to talk about. Why does he want to do this? Why are robots involved? We have so much to talk about. But Nick- but the Trojan horse, the Trojan horse. So when you turn this into a living being, mm-hmm. can it still carry around humans inside it? I mean, that would be cool if it also, like, could open up... Like those whale spaceships. You know how sometimes spaceships are whales? Like in Doctor Who? Yeah. Or, like, one of the... Maybe it's more like a Turtle Island situation. But do you ever think about how big the Trojan Horse must actually have been if they fit, like, ten plus people inside? That is part of what's hilarious about the Trojan Horse. With weapons. Yeah. I didn't think of anything nearly as... Devious as either of your plans, but I was just thinking I would steal a part of Petra because I feel like it would be easy to cut off a piece because it's all kind of sand. Yeah. So you're just saying like a chunk of Petra. <laughs> yeah, just a chunk. Not just like someone. a whole statue. No. Or just like an arch. Something, 
something small. You're not looking for the Holy Grail? I'm thinking it would be very powerful. Like, I feel like that place holds a lot of power. Yeah, it has the Holy Grail. Yeah, it does the Holy Grail. The penitent man shall pass. In um, Indiana Jones, oh. when they get the Holy Grail, they go to Petra. Oh. Not that it's ever actually called Petra or had its real history acknowledged. Just kind of vague desert ruins. I feel like they do say Petra in that movie. Maybe. It's been a while. I was literally going to say, you guys watch a lot of movies. That's literally the point. <laughs> this is literally why we are here. <laughs> Which may be a good segue. Why we are really here today <laughs> is to discuss... We, we gotta the... talk about threequels. Last Crusade, Season of the Witch. <laughs> we gotta talk about the romance Step of... Up 3D. <laughs> Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Because this movie... If I... one can describe it as a movie... <laughs> I don't know how to put most of my thoughts about this into words, but I'm excited to try. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. And this is an investigative podcast (laughs) dedicated to the least important question facing the world. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people slash later androids actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, in honor of the forthcoming release of Halloween Ends, this coming Friday, we are talking about the first ever Halloween threequel. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, written and directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. So, in my head, I did have this movie confused with the Nick Cage Season of the Witch movie. And when they were showing the 80s, I was like, this doesn't seem like medieval times. So, before this movie comes out, there's a George Romero movie called Season of the Witch, which is kind of Witches of Eastwicky, like a woman moves to a new town and gets drawn into, like, a coven. That's the first Season of the Witch. Then there's Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, which has no relation to that. Then in 2011, there's the Nick Cage-Ron Perlman Season of the Witch, which is unrelated to either of the earlier ones and is about a medieval knight. It's a good phrase. It is. Anyway, to talk about this, we have brought back uh, our great friend, Nick. Nick, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Excited to discuss this time that I spent watching a thing on the TV. Nick and I watched Halloween together, and we loved it. And so I was just like, I'm going to make Nick watch something terrible now. (laughs) So what's fascinating is, like, I think for a long time, through, like, when we were growing up and stuff, Halloween 3 Season of the Witch was, like, shorthand for bad movie. Like, the name was treated as ridiculous. The Mm -hmm. movie was just, like, widely understood, like, this stinks. And I feel like in the last decade or so, there has been this strange reclamation of this movie. Or people are like, oh, that's actually the interesting one. Like, that's where they tried to do something different when they were like, oh, maybe this doesn't have to be a Michael Myers series. It can be like an anthology series of movies just telling stories that happen on Halloween. So I came into this with like pretty high expectations. I was like, it's going to be good and interesting. And for like the first 30 minutes, I was all in. I was like, this, like, it's got a great John Carpenter score. It's shot pretty well. It's creepy. I love this. And then just the deeper we went into it, the more I was confused, perplexed, (laughs) bewildered by everything that was going on to the point that, like, as each new reveal of what was really happening took place, I was like, well, now this is just stupid. (laughs) Now, this movie is convoluted, poorly directed, poorly acted. A lot of the effects are bad. And yet, did I enjoy watching it? Yes. 
I was so baffled that it really sucked me in. I think the direction is great until they get to Santa Mira. I like the effects. I like how goopy they are. To me, like, the biggest problem with this movie is just it is centered on a plan that doesn't make any sense. Why does he want to kill children? It's not clear to me beyond just, like, ancient Irish Celts are evil. So, Connell Cochran uh, is a famed toy designer who pivots into mask design. And he's a, a Celtic cultist who believes that, like, the elder gods of old Ireland need human sacrifice. They have not been properly recognized, he says, for 3,000 years, which is well before Christianity arrives in Ireland. So I would love to know who is responsible then. And his plan is to sell kids masks that have fragments of Stonehenge embedded in them. And then he'll run some kind of, like, magic circuit through, like, a seizure-inducing commercial that will blow up the kids' heads releasing rattlesnakes that will then kill their parents, and then a bunch of people are dead. That famous Irish animal, the rattlesnake. (laughs) And, like, I guess the end goal is just, like, I want a human sacrifice? Like, when did this guy decide that he was going to throw everything away in the name of mass human sacrifice? And why did he have to build Stepford Wives-level robots in order to do it? I guess the robots is because most people would not sign up to work for a company where the ultimate plan is to murder all of the children in the world. But I assume most people aren't in on it. Like, I assume the people making the masks day to day don't know what's going on. It's just the, like, dozen people in final processing. Doesn't the, like, motel owner know what's going on, though? It does seem that a surprising amount of people are in on it. I think the motel owner is just Irish, and this movie taught you to read that as evil. Fair enough. Nick, what is your relationship with the Halloween franchise? What's your reaction to this movie? Like, where are you coming up to us with this? I saw Halloween, and I loved it, even though I really hate scary movies, because um, I'm really jumpy as just a human being. I think that's just the underlying anxiety of being alive, but it really comes out when there's scary movies. But this one really surprised me, because I really love movies that are just bad like kind of like the 40 to 50 percent rotten tomatoes scores i'm like really into those kind of movies so i kind of fell in love with this movie a little bit i was kind of obsessed I, especially the first effect is like the guy the car <laughs> the car <laughs> he he's been, there's a man who's being chased by a robot and he goes under a car and then releases like the he pulls the block out yeah the block out and the car moves at maybe one mile an hour down a very small hill but somehow the robot absolutely destroyed by he's flimsy yeah they're it's this cheap manufacturing because i mean the car just like slowly pushes the robot between it and another car and the robot just freezes and the guy crawls away, and I was like, "I that shouldn't have worked, but good for you, I guess. So that really sucked me in, is my point. And then what really got me is when the robot killed the guy in the hospital just by kind of, like, yeah. pushing on his face. Pulling. He pushed in his eyeballs. No, it was great. But it was that, but he also, like, yanked his nose up or out somehow? Yeah, so he, like, reached with his fingers into the eye sockets, like, killed him by, like, crushing in his brain through that way. But then instead of just withdrawing, he, like, yanked 
like with his hands on either side of the nose, he like yanked out with it. I liked that. It was like grisly. It was creepy. No, it was cool, but it was also just like again, this movie chooses some really weird. Like nothing is easy. He doesn't just go in and like kill him or even just pull out his eyeball. It takes an extra step. There's always an extra step here. Yeah, see, and that's the thing where like at that point I like it. It's grisly, it's intense. It just turns into like a mystery that I barely care about. <laughs> like when they go off and they're like, "All right, we're going to find out what happened to kill your dad." I'm like, "I don't I don't really care that much what happened to kill your dad." And I don't I don't understand this company town with a 6 p.m. curfew. That I understand. That's so early. That's appropriate. No one should be out after 6 p.m. <laughs> but I definitely think that was the part that definitely lost me as well, but also sucked me in more because I had to know. First of all, why is this doctor even caring about anything? Number one, he's a total drunk. Number two, he's a total flirt. Why in the world does he care about this woman's dad who he helped for all of five seconds he should just be a detective why is he a doctor that helped this patient one night and then gets involved if it's a detective it all of a sudden honestly just makes more sense why he's there it does nothing's easy nothing's easy in this movie so like i said earlier this movie was part of like part of an effort to reimagine the Halloween franchise after Halloween 2 and say, okay, like, what if this was a series of stories taking place on Halloween? And that was in large part because the distributors asked for a third Halloween movie, and John Carpenter and his producing partner, Deborah Hill, were like, we'll do another one, but we don't want to do a sequel to Halloween 2. So they hire a British writer, Nigel Neal, who created uh, the character Quartermass. It's like classic British sci-fi character. And he wrote a suspense movie inspired by Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And that became a big thing they would say a lot on the press tour. They're like, it's not a it's not a knife movie, it's a pod movie. Calling back to like the pod people from Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And in fact, the original 1956 Body Snatchers is also set in Santa Mira, California, made up town. Uh, the no bodies are snatched in this movie though. I guess yeah, there is she body. is one body, she is snatched. Yeah, she's replaced with a robot. But I mean that's the part of it too where you're like trying to figure out Cochrane's plan, you're like, wait, so part of his plan is to, like, replace people with android doubles. To what end? Are they gonna, like, become mask salespeople? No, because the weird, the thing about this movie I don't understand is, it's, like, the first movie where the bad guy is a corporation, and it's, like, anti-corporate, but the goal isn't more money. Like, he's not trying to get more money. Anti-capitalist. Anti-children. Anti-Irish. What's the other one? I think that was it. No, there's well, definitely one more. It's anti-basically everything you could possibly imagine. That's from a, like, New York Times review or something. Ebert, that was oh. a Roger Ebert review. The Ebert review of this movie is very funny. Yeah. But the confusing thing is, it's so easy to understand evil plans that are motivated by money. Yeah. No matter how convoluted, you can kind of piece your way back to getting the end goal if it the end goal is money. In this movie, he's like destroying his company and it's hard to understand the rationale of a rich person doing something in a movie not for more money and you're just kind of like what's his next step because you take a movie like cabin in the woods and in cabin in the woods they're trying to stop the elder gods from coming they're like doing a human sacrifice to appease them so they don't show up but like you get at the end like all right the elder gods like okay and this one he clearly wants to appease these like celtic demons 
But like, what does he imagine is going to happen? Is he going to get some kind of power as a result of it? Will he be elevated to this like new destroyed United States? I, I, I think the big issue is like, you don't have any sense of what he wants. And his plan is so confusing that it's hard to feel any menace to it. You're just perplexed. If they had just gone all in on like the witchy stuff. Instead of robots, they were druids. Rather than trying to also go sci-fi with it, I think things would have just been creepier and made more sense. Yeah, and like ultimately, Carpenter, I think, does both of these things better later on, where he does the like anti-capitalist hidden business influence thing in They Live, and he does the like elder god staving off its arrival thing in Prince of Darkness. And here, it's just none of it really coheres. The one thing is really confusing to me is, okay, sure, the season. There's a season, for sure. The witch comes in, like, last ten minutes of the movie, and you don't really know. Because for the most part, it's kind of just chasing people around, like robots chasing people around, which I get. But that's not witch. Are you saying this should be called Halloween 3 Season of the Robot? Yes, that is what I'm saying. I think what I learned from this movie, you can do witches, you can do robots, they don't go well together. Or if they do, make it part of the plot. They would have to be like cyborg witches. Yeah. Now that's an idea. Right? (laughs) I do like that the witch in this movie is not a woman. Yeah. Gender equality. (laughs) That's the progressive Hollywood of the 1980s. Happy women's equality there. So they hire Nigel Neal to do a draft. He writes this, like, invasion of the body snatchers thing. But... In comes everyone's favorite character from 80s Hollywood, Dino De Laurentiis, who was working on distribution, and he demanded more gore. So John Carpenter did a rewrite, adding in a bunch more gore, at which point Nigel Neal announces that he wants his name taken off the screenplay. So he is not credited in the movie. Tommy Lee Wallace does another draft after the Carpenter one, and so Wallace is actually the only credited writer, but there was this other stuff by Carpenter and by Neal. For a hot second, Joe Dante was attached to direct this. Which, if nothing else, would have had probably some even wackier special effects. But then he left to do the Twilight Zone movie instead. There could have been more gore. Even as it is, I enjoyed the head getting torn off. Yeah, that rocked. Should we talk about the romance? It's questionable. Do you have more movie facts for us, Will? Yeah, a little bit. So, uh, in terms of, like, connections to other stuff in the Halloween franchise, this one is the one that hasn't really been acknowledged. (laughs) I wonder why. (laughs) The Silver Shamrock masks do appear in the David Gordon Green movies. Like, you can see them in Halloween 2018 and in Halloween Kills. I was wondering, is that, like, a thing with the Halloween series that they, like, do callbacks? So, (laughs) the Halloween franchise is constantly doing Uh semi-reboots. Because everyone agrees that Halloween 1978 is, like, a perfect movie. Yeah. And so, this is, like, I believe the only one that's, like, a clean start. Where you could just come into Halloween 3 without knowing anything about it. And in fact, as I'm sure you guys noticed, Halloween 3 Season of the Witch is set in a universe where the movie Halloween exists. Yeah. There's a TV promo for it that refers to it as the immortal classic. (laughs) I loved that. (laughs) That's what I was thinking of when I asked this question. The thing is then, like, other Halloween movies basically decide which ones they're going to pay attention to. Like, after this, Halloween 4 is titled The Return of Michael Myers, because everyone was mad that he wasn't in this one, so they're like, we're putting it on the poster. Michael Myers, he's back. (laughs) And so, the first, like, six or so Halloween movies, excepting three, like, one, two, four, five, six, follow a linear continuity. But after that, 
they start picking and choosing. So, like, this coming Friday, as this episode comes out, Halloween Ends will be released. Halloween Ends is a direct sequel to Halloween Kills, which is a direct sequel to Halloween 2018. Halloween 2018 is a sequel only to Halloween 1978. There have been other semi-reboots that were sequels to just Halloween 78 or just Halloween and Halloween 2. Like, all of these attempts to restart the franchise pick and choose which earlier ones count. So the franchise is always anti-history. Just perpetually messing with history. Well, that helps with understanding a little bit Mm -hmm. why this movie is what it is. And then you also have H2O, which is not about water. (laughs) No. What? Halloween H2O came out in 1998. It's 20 years of Halloween. Yeah. Halloween 20. No. I really... There's no water in the movie? It's just a Michael Myers movie. Michael Myers should be in a scuba suit. (laughs) I would watch a, like... I would watch a Halloween Deep Blue Sea crossover. Me too. In the spirit of, like, Freddy versus Jason, but it's Michael versus Smart Sharks. I pretty much watch anything, so that sounds like a good thing to watch, honestly. The other big connection to the earlier movies is that the voice announcing the curfew and the operator on the telephone that our flirtatious doctor talks to, um, that's Jamie Lee Curtis. What? She's not credited. Wikipedia. She's definitely doing a different voice. Jamie Lee Curtis, getting that coin. Every way she can. It's the chicest curfew announcement. (laughs) A reference to Jamie Lee Curtis's recent, I guess not that recent, appearance on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And thus a joke that went entirely over Will's head, I'm sure. Sure did. We have a wind chime. Oh, wind chime. Of my hand and yours. Jamie, let me just say... That is the chicest wind chime I have ever. Thank you, darling. Jamie has found herself a new best friend in Dory. She's really going over the top with her love for these items. Then this dog leash. Stop it right now. And we put a my paw in yours dog tag on. And he manufactured this and designed it. A lavender um, candle. It's very chic. These are the hats. So chic. Little snugglies. Really very chic. At this point, Jamie Lee Curtis could show Dorit a dirty old tissue and she would say, it's so chic. Oh my God. But a lot of the people involved in this do have connections to past Halloween movies. Tommy Lee Wallace, who directed it, had been the production designer and the editor on Halloween and also on Carpenter's The Fog. Tom Atkins was the lead of The Fog. So there are all these people sort of circling and, and coming back for these movies. Our female lead, who I assume we're going to talk about a lot because the character is weird as heck, uh, is played by Stacey Nelkin, who doesn't have a ton of acting credits, but has had an, an interesting life. Um, the, the bad thing is that she is one of several women who claim that Manhattan is based on her relationship with Woody <gasps> Allen when she was a teenager. And uh, it's a bad thing that anyone can claim that. It's a worse thing that multiple people think it's about them. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> Poor girl. Um, that's bad. More entertainingly for us, <laughs> she has, in the 21st century, become a self-styled relationship expert with a now-defunct YouTube channel. I went looking for it. None of the videos are still there. But it was, like, featured on Fox and & Friends and Larry King and you know, that whole circuit. And in 2009, she co-wrote a book called You Can't Afford to Break Up, How an Empty Wallet and a Dirty Mind Can Save Your Relationship. 
And from the stuff I was able to see of it, looking online, the book is basically about, like, look, it's probably, there's a recession going on. It's 2009. Like, financially, it's probably best for you to stay in your relationship. But maybe you can make it fun again using roleplay. That is some of the more interesting advice I have ever heard in terms of It's, like, all about, like, dealing with the... (laughs) 2009 financial crisis <laughs> use your imagination use role play don't break up and don't take predatory loans don't go into foreclosure but also dress up as a nurse every once in a while <laughs> maybe someone can play the banker and someone yeah. can play the ha- person whose house is getting foreclosed yeah, prepare on. for your foreclosure through role play sexy banker outfits is there any way i can save my house okay but we do need, when we talk about the romance, we need to talk about the soft, soft porn introduction to their romance. Uh, it's Which it sounds uh, very much like that. It's scripted exactly like that. It, it is. <laughs> You're it's not wrong. It's lifted directly out of a Skinamax movie. It moves to sex with the abruptness that you would expect, <laughs> given that description. I'm assuming this was not a financial success. I mean, it, it was profitable. Okay. Because it was dirt cheap. You know, they shot it for two and a half million dollars. <laughs> they spent like another two million on advertising. Well, they only had one actor playing all of the robots, so that was very convenient for them. The company that did the masks is like a special effects company that had made the Michael Myers mask for Halloween. And the witch mask and the skull mask are like modified versions of ones they already had. The pumpkin mask was an original they created for this movie. There's a really cool New York Times interview with the company that I'm going to post on our social media page this week. But... They, uh, the masks were cheaper than they would have been because the company was like, don't pay us now. We just want to make these masks and sell them on the market and take most of the money from that. And like, you get a cut of it. And they were like, fine. But yeah, so the movie cost like two and a half million dollars. It made 14. So it's, it's profitable, but it's a disappointment, especially when you keep in mind that Halloween 78 cost $300,000 and made 40 million. Yeah, that's not great. How much did... Uh, you might not have this number, but did Halloween 2 do as well as Halloween 1978? Um, I don't think it's as dramatically successful. Halloween 78 was, like, the most profitable movie ever at the time it came out in terms of budget to box office. Mm-hmm. Halloween 2 wasn't that big, but it was big. And so the fact that this is a movie where you're like, well, it technically made a profit, that's a huge disappointment. And it's six years before they make another Halloween movie. And again, they put the return of Michael Myers on the poster when they do. So I have a question. This is a completely unscripted question. I really don't find Michael Myers to be all that scary. I think that a lot of these horror movie villains who keep coming back... Well, okay, Freddy Krueger, I get. That one makes sense to me. Like, he haunts your dreams. Yeah. Well, number one, that. Number two, the hand is, like, creepy as hell. He's also the only one that really talks. Yeah. Michael Myers... I don't find him that scary, except that he cannot be destroyed. That is what's scary about him, is he's this, like, indestructible, malevolent force. Michael Myers is the inevitability of death around every corner. Right. I find Michael very scary. I like him a lot in the original Halloween. But ultimately, Michael Myers is like the Grinch in that he's less interesting the more I know about him. So, like, every time they try to build backstory onto Michael, I lose interest, because... If you make the murders personal, it's no longer like death comes for us all. It's like this guy wants to kill these people who did stuff to him. I think that's a really good way to put it. I never really pictured him that way. I just kind of thought of him as a guy. But thinking about him as like, you know that um commercial where there's the guy who's like 
the accidents happen to everyone. Oh, he is mayhem. Yeah, he is mayhem. It's like he is death. That's what I'm picturing now. And so that helps a little bit. So now I'm afraid. Because I'm always afraid of death. (laughs) It's always out there. It's always around the corner. Well, if you need a little uplift, and it's the fall of 1982, you can always go see E.T., which the weekend Halloween 3 came out, E.T. was in its 20th week. And it was the first week ever that E.T. was not number one or number two at the box office. Jesus Christ. (laughs) It was fifth this weekend, but it would come back to first for two weeks around Thanksgiving. I I will say, way more afraid of E.T. than Michael Myers. Oh, I love E.T. so much. (laughs) By the way, E.T. did beat Halloween 3 in Halloween 3's only nomination from a major awards body, which was the Saturn Award for Best Poster Art. Okay, major is <laughs> generous to the Saturn Awards. But now I want to know what the poster art is. I'm gonna look it's it a good poster. I'm looking it up. But E.T.'s is better. This poster makes the movie look much scarier than it is. Also witchier. And witchier. Oh, like I the like poster has poster. nothing to do with the movie. I would have this poster. I will say that the threat of having all children die. Okay, also, everyone's buying from the same company, the same mask. They're trendy. Mm-hmm. They have a commercial. No, don't sing the song. No one sings the song during I, this. I fully believe that that commercial would make the masks successful and that kids would complain until they had one. Oh, yeah, totally. Terrible. That is the scariest part of this movie, is how much I sang that song and continue to sing that song. We'll sing it at the end. For all the I can turn it on listeners. again. No. No. But yeah, I guess so. They're a mask wholesaler where they sell to stores, spirit Halloweens yeah. around the world, and also Marge Gutman and her Marge. shop right on Union Square in San Francisco. Prime real estate, mind you. And then they advertise and kids go to the store and ask specifically for silver shamrock masks. Which seems to have worked. You know, we see a lot of stores selling those masks. He does seem to have the market cornered. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's kids, they do a very specific job of picking cities all across the U.S. Right, what, Dayton, Omaha? Yeah. (laughs) I did love, I was reading on wikipedia and one review pointed out that uh time zones don't seem to exist in the world of halloween 3 sure don't yeah because the horror thon is at nine o'clock it is also on every network like every channel is carrying this company's horror thon what's being shown is that unclear part of that unclear like i guess like probably like universal monster movies i think it's just halloween 1978 over and over and over again because the immortal classic yeah the immortal classic I like it when the guy in the bar, when Dr. Hansey asks for the channel to be changed, and the guy in the bar is like, don't you have any Halloween spirit? And I love the idea of a place that has, like, Christmas movie logic, where, like, everyone is obsessed with Halloween, and the worst thing you could do is not be really into Halloween. Totally. It very It's giving Hallmark movie. That's the untapped market, because there's been at least one Thanksgiving movie at this point, I feel. But no yeah. one's done the Halloween romance movie. And which is ridiculous because it's a hol- it's a holiday that is ready made for rolls in the hay. It is a holiday with a believable company town. The only right. one besides Christmas where you could 
remotely justify it would be Halloween. And, like, instead of a snowman coming to life, you have a scarecrow come to life. Yeah. And realistically, you could employ your entire town with just robots. <laughs> but why? But but why? They must be more expensive than paying someone a salary. That's so true. This man's business model is flawed. Santa That's Mira, all I can say. Santa Mira he was a toy a- genius. He could have kept making toys forever. But no, he wanted to blow up all the children and turn them into snakes. But this is, this is Santa Mira. Santa Mira is, in theory, a suburb of Eureka, California, known for a homelessness problem and weed. And this is pre-the weed. So, I would believe it. I do respect that this movie openly murdered a child in front of us. You don't get that in a lot of movies. I was pretty excited about that, because I personally am anti-child. So this is your kind of movie. Exactly. But I'm also confused, because I have a motivation. I don't feel like he has a motive. He doesn't even seem to hate kids. No. He does not engage with the kid, to be fair. I'm trying to think. There's that movie of, like, a, a, it's not Willy Wonka who hates children, but there's some movie with- I mean, Willy Wonka does seemingly allow children to die well, during yeah. a factory tour. But I feel like there's something where it's like, they love candy and hate children. And I'm trying to remember which- villain that is this is a full non sequitur but mark did you read fran hoffner's essay about eating an entire giant lollipop (laughs) no (laughs) fran hoffner wrote an essay at gawker where she's like for this news outlet i am going to eat an entire giant lollipop and it took her like six days (laughs) (laughs) and she kept she kept like trying to find i gotta find it and send it to you she kept trying to find different places where it would be acceptable (laughs) to like bring it in public Because she was, like, wrapping it up and keeping it in her fridge from day to day. So she, like, spent a day at Coney Island because she's like, no, I don't think it's that weird if I have a giant lollipop at Coney Island. But then she's also, like, bringing it to movies and sitting there and just doing her lollipop. Oh, my God. I'm very excited. How big is this lollipop? Is it, like, the rainbow kind? Yeah. That's what I'm picturing. All right. So should we talk about the romance of Halloween 3, Season of the Witch? It is weirdly consequential. So, every week, we break down the romantic plotline of the movie into five points. Nick, as our guest, (laughs) do you remember what you said point one was? No, but I think you do, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so haunting. Is that like a YouTube video? Is there just like a three second thing? No, in order to make sure that I didn't have to deal with ads, I have downloaded the song. Well, I think this is an intervention. (laughs) You love movies too much. (laughs) Please bring into the room, because we need to have a conversation about your monetary decisions. (laughs) No, I didn't pay for it. I downloaded it off YouTube. Okay. Well, Mark didn't know about... Do you know the, um, the app where you can just replay YouTube videos? No. Okay. So I'm the only one who replays mm-hmm. Hold My Hand Instrumental by Jess Glynn. Okay. Yeah, that's very clear now. Um, the, the first thing was divorce. The first point was divorce. Divorce, babes. Divorce, babes. Flirty Dr. Hansy. Officially, his name is Dan Chalice. He's played by Tom Atkins is from the Rockford Files. A divorced drunk doctor with a bad relationship with his ex-wife. Yes, it seems to mostly be a bad relationship because he is unreliable. But also, drinking and doctoring do not mix. So that's probably fair from her perspective, I feel. I mean, I'm team ex-wife. I think 
She was a queen. Absolute queen. She is also the actual wife of the director. For real? Huh. Yeah. That makes sense. At least she didn't sing a Cole Porter song in Mandarin to open the movie. Oh, no. Well, they weren't married at that point. Ah, uh, I guess fair but That's enough. a different Indiana Jones. That's what I was going to say. It's yeah. like it keeps going back to Indiana Jones. <laughs> it all comes back to Indiana Jones. Um, for what it's worth, though, Nancy Keys was married to Tommy Lee Wallace at this point. She is also in Halloween and Halloween 2 as one of Laurie Strode's friends. They really aged her up in this. Yeah, they just yeah. sprayed some gray paint in her hair. Called it a day. From high school murder victim to divorced mom of two. Now, we keep referring to the fact that he is he's Dr. Hansy. That's point two. That's point two. Oh, that's point two. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, divorce. He comes in and buys these really cute masks for his kids, which I thought were super cute. I mean, there's a whole section of the movie pre this where the robot dies in between the cars, but it's not relevant to the romance. Unless it, it kind of is, I guess. We covered it. Yeah. It's relevant to his flirtation with the lab tech. That's true. Because he keeps calling her to find out, like, what's going on with her investigation. And she's like, I can't find any organic material. It's just gears. And melted plastic. But that's point. That's part of point two, because that's Dr. Hansy. So, divorce. He comes home. He brings masks. But they're shitty masks, per the kid's perspective. Except they're not the good masks. I think that they're fine. I mean, they're better because they won't kill the kids. They are like paper and string. He's unreliable. He's not a reliable guy. But honestly, it's the kind of mask that I would buy for my kid. But also, I don't like kids. So I would just shove them out a window anyway. But the issue is like they want and now have like the trendy mask. Exactly. So then they sit in front of the TV and watch. Yeah, just like I do every night when I put on my mask and watch, sit in front of the TV. And watch. <laughs> to watch your favorite commercials. Yeah, to watch my <laughs> Honestly, yes, because I watch all the Instagram commercials. Nick's the only person I know who turns the sound on to watch Instagram ads. Like, and then he turns for, it off during Jeopardy. It'll be like for Fishdom, that game that's a match three that's lying about what it is. He will turn on the sound to watch it. Yeah, honey. Okay, my favorite mobile ads are the ones for the game where you have to like pull the levers to like make the lava go one way and the water yeah, go the other way to I save the person. Those. Yeah, I, here's the thing. I then downloaded that game, and that's, like, barely what the game is. Yeah. It's mostly, like, remodeling a house. I've read several articles about the, like, lying in mobile game ads and how they just aren't what the, like, they make it seem cooler than it is because they're all just match threes. Yeah, I'm just, like, you know, I'll do, like, little puzzles like this, but, yeah, it's, like, remodel a house by playing Bejeweled. I... Will say the new route that they're going of just building a mythos around the evil grandmother in their ads. <laughs> She's a queen. Interesting. Tack. Another queen. So we're, are we at sexy Doctor Hansy? Yes. Yeah. Sure. So he goes back into the he he gets called back. He's an unreliable doctor who drinking and doctoring don't mix per the ex wife. But he gets called back. And he's got no Halloween spirit. No Halloween spirit. He's also supposed to be taking the kids with him that night before being called back to the hospital. Yeah. And to be fair, he is called back to the hospital because a man has been murdered there. No, a man has had a heart attack. Because okay. it's, he, it's, he's collapsed at the gas station. Right. Yes, yes, yes. And then he goes in. And then this is point two. Dr. Hansy. Where he's, it's kind of like um, Grey's Anatomy level amount of flirting. Like, he goes in. 
and treats this patient. And somehow it's just like, will you come have sex with me in the closet? All of a sudden, Agnes, the nurse. But not in a very serious way. But it's still, he, with Agnes, it's flirty. Yeah, with Agnes, it feels almost jokey. Like, he doesn't expect it to actually happen. But nonetheless, he should stop, like, putting his arm around her and patting her butt. Totally. Yeah. To be fair, she does pat his butt back. So, it's definitely mutual. It's an inappropriate workplace dynamic, regardless of the fact that they are both, you know, consenting to it. Yes. Much like our our home office here at Shea... Ebert. Shyla, our HR department, does not do a very good job at keeping inappropriate workplace <laughs> conduct in check. But then there's also even more inappropriate workplace contact with Teddy, who is the lab tech. Yeah, that all lumps in here of him flirting with anything that has a pulse. So she works like for the coroner, but isn't the coroner. And he wants her to investigate because he thinks the coroner's bad. And to do this, he flirts with her and offers to take her out on a date. And just I think they have clearly had sex. Yes. For sure. Many times. And to be clear, why we need a coroner. Just to recap the movie briefly, the guy who collapsed is killed by a robot by pulling his brain out slash pulling his face out slash turning him just into a mask. And then the robot goes into a car and spontaneously combusts himself. Self-immolates, probably. And so they're trying to figure out what happened with the murderer. And so the coroner is involved in that. So whatever her name is. Teddy. Teddy is the coroner assistant to help figure that out. And all she can find is melted plastic, hint, hint. And and, some gears. And some gears. I will say this while I'm like taking moments to occasionally shout out things I liked about this movie. I liked Teddy's death scene. I thought it was like gruesome and intense when she's killed with the drill. The drill is great because you don't see anything, but you see him with the pressure and the resistance and then drops. Like it's, it just goes straight through the bone. It's really cool. And like her legs kind of kicking out and the shot, the shot there is really cool where with her actually dying Mm because you can only see the legs really moving. That's the best death scene probably. The creepiest is Marge breathing, but with no skin on her face. I love that. After her face gets blown off by the laser. Oh, and the bug was crawling around on her face. Yeah, okay, that was pretty good. The death scenes are pretty good. I was going to say, they. I I read on Wikipedia, because that's the only thing I read, because I don't trust any news sources. And (laughs) they were saying that the blood slash gore is reduced in this movie. But I felt like it was pretty gory. I mean, I haven't seen Halloween 2, but I'd say this is at least as gory as Halloween. I'd say more so. I think it is, like, goopier, but it doesn't have the grisliness of, like, Michael Myers repeatedly stabbing people or, like, stabbing them and arranging their bodies. That's fair. I mean, it's just, it is less realistic gruesome, too. Like, Michael Myers is things that a human could do. This is, like, Stonehenge has shot a laser at someone and bugs crawled out of their face. Yeah, I have a lot of questions about that. Where do the snake and other vermin come from? I think it's a transmogrification thing where the the matter inside the human is transfigured into bugs and rattlesnakes. Okay. I'm just going to accept it because at this point I cannot waste more energy. <laughs> All right. So point three. Point three. <laughs> the man's murdered and his daughter comes to town to like identify the body. And then they like decide to investigate this death together. 
Yeah, she's like, well, she's like convinced her dad was murdered because he was murdered. (laughs) (laughs) But she's convinced there's like a conspiracy beyond a guy setting himself on fire after doing the murder. Why? Right. Unclear at this time. There's no real motive for her to understand all that, but she's into it. Fully into it. The real question, why is the doctor into it? Because she's hot. Like, Dr. Hansy, like, like, clearly is just like checking in on her to see how she's doing because he like wants to bone her and she's like look i've been going through my dad's meetings and figuring out which meetings he went to and like he went to this one he went to this one he went to this one he didn't meet me and the last meeting he had was at this mask factory (laughs) we got to go to the santa mira and find out what's happening the beautiful suburb of eureka california if you've ever been to eureka california listener don't don't go (laughs) highly recommend not going so This does bring us to point four, where they're (laughs) deciding to go stay in a motel together. So they get down there and they're like, well, we should, you know, get to the motel. That'll give us a chance to scope out the town. When they're pulling in in the car, the line is, we'll get a couple of rooms. They then immediately just get, and like the dialogue is going to be very important here. (laughs) (laughs) They then get one room and... They're talking about being in the room, and I think this scene is, like, almost working at first, where they're talking about who's going to sleep where. Like, at this point, I've given up on the movie being re- being great, but, like, there's some tension there where they're, like, trying to figure it out. The problem is then, immediately after being, like, where do you want to sleep? I don't know. They're, like, wishy-washy. Where do you want to sleep? And then they just start doing this weird, like, where would you like to sleep, Dr. Chalice? Where would you like me to sleep, Miss Grimbridge? Totally. And then they just immediately start making out. Yeah. Oh, horrifying. There's literally like softcore porn music that starts during this conversation. And all of a sudden it is, it's like the setup of the worst softcore porn you've ever seen. Like there's no build up to it. There's a sense that like, sure, like you get like this guy given his position, like is probably attracted to this woman who's like 20 years younger than he is. Yeah. At one point he asks how old she is, which is really terrifying. And she says, basically, don't worry about it. So, that's not great. Stacey Nelkin's like 23 in this movie. I I believe that she's of age. It's just disturbing that that was a line written into a movie at any time in any period. And it's it's an alarming response. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so it's a softcore porn, basically. From there... Until not really like this scene starts in a way where it feels like it could be, but then it cuts away. And, you know, we see multiple scenes suggesting further sex, like when she gets out of the shower and like waits for him wrapped in the bedspread. Yeah, well, there's that. And then the nipple suckling at one point that I missed, apparently. Yeah, Nick was (laughs) looking at his phone at the one moment boob pops out. Boob? I missed the boob. 80s movies love boob. Just Just a hint of boob. I mean, he immediately starts going to town on it, too. Yeah. It goes to a degree where, like, you are seeing, like, skin moving around. Like, there is clear pressure. I don't think there was an intimacy coordinator on this set. I think it was that man deciding what he was going to do with Stacey Nelkin. And that's very distressing to me. But also, Stacey Nelkin, it doesn't matter how old she is, (laughs) apparently. So that's the romance, basically. Because then... And then part five, she's a robot. robot. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's so much that happens in between there. Yeah, I mean, they start start figuring out this incomprehensible plot. They're like sneaking around the factory. She gets kidnapped and at some point replaced with a robot. And this is where 
you know, Mark, I imagine you thought of this too. I'm like, this movie started off kind of interesting and has gotten totally lost in just lesser Stepford Wives. Totally. Yeah, I felt very similar. But like Stepford Wives has all this rich subtext going on, all these, you know, interesting thematic stuff it's dealing with. And this is just like, what if there were robots and also Stonehenge? (laughs) When you describe this movie, it sounds so funny. It's better than you describe it as. Like, one could not describe this movie accurately, I feel. Because, like, the plot is terrible and doesn't make sense. The whole direction is bad. The acting is also bad. But somehow it works for me. I did enjoy watching it. I found it very frustrating by the end. Like I said, (laughs) the beginning for me, I like the Carpenter score. I like the way the opening sequences are really sort of adopting a visual language that is consistent with Halloween while still introducing some new stuff. My big problems are just like, once it's in Santa Mira, it's clear that the movie isn't going anywhere interesting. I just, the escalation got to a point where I was like, all right, keep it coming. I just need to see what's happening next. So Ellie gets replaced with a robot, (laughs) but uh, Dr. Hansi doesn't know. So he breaks her out. They escape, and then she tries to murder him. She helps him do some of the, like, fighting the... No, she's normal for, like, a long period of time, and then all of a sudden, when they're, like, actually escaping, she decides to turn on him? Right, she helps him destroy the evil plan. Like, she actively works with him, and then at the last minute, is like, never mind, I'm a robot, and I'm gonna kill you. Like, it doesn't make any sense. But speaking of sense, do you find the romance believable? No. I think I've made that clear. I don't think anything in this movie tracks, so yeah. Okay, now, hot take. I think it's believable, because there are men like that who would just romance anything that walks with a pulse. I guess he's taking advantage of her grief. Yeah, it's pretty depressing to me, but I believe that that's true. But I wouldn't say that the whole setup is necessarily believable because I don't think you can kill someone by sticking your hands in someone's eye sockets and that kind of hinges the whole romance. But he's a robot. You can do that? Yeah. Well, Will's going to teach me how to kill someone with (laughs) my hands next time we meet up. But, uh, wow. Can you really do that? Where would you rate this on a scale of 1 to 10? Um, I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a 10. Just to be controversial. Um, I'd give it a two, honestly. <laughs> you just said you believe this romance. I do, but I also think that the circumstances around it are really not going to work. You won't accept ten and you won't accept two. Where am I supposed to go? Six? That's exactly I what I thought you were going to say eight. Yeah. You were like, it's I'll, believable. I'll do, I'll do whatever Will wants me to do. I'll do eight. <laughs> I'm probably going to give it like a four. I'm also going to give it a four. Uh, do you find either of them dateable? Um, basically no. Like, Dr. Hansi, I think his name says all you need to know. Because I have a death wish, I think that the robot version of Stacey Nelkin is very dateable. Because I would like to die via Stacey Nelkin. Covering, I don't know, what does she even do? She just, like, covers his eyes in the car? Like, that's not a very efficient way to kill someone, That scene is so extended for no reason. yes. You know, Nick, the thing about dating Stacey Nelkin is you know, like, Role play is going to be a part of it. And you know what? I love that for me. I love that for my future. <laughs> I'm going to go with no also. <laughs> I'm also a no. She should find better ways to investigate her dad's death. Now, 
the one person I would date is that is that a different question? We've skipped that. We we're skipping a question, Nick. No, but go ahead. But the one person I would date is the woman, um, the wife of the best salesman, who just carries oh. a mirror around. <laughs> She's just to holding look at like a full scale mirror because I love. You're that talking level. about Betty Cooper? Yeah, yeah. I love the level of self confidence that that takes, and I feel like I would osmosis a little bit of that confidence. She's a wild card. I would date Nurse Agnes. I would date Teddy. Okay. Teddy's only downside is that she's friends with Dr. Hansy. Yeah. Slash she more seems than cool. friends. Anyway, the question we skipped, like, they're not going to stay together because she is a robot <laughs> who is destroyed. I am not sure about that because I think she would make every effort to stay together based on her behavior as a robot, a dead robot. Yeah, but her objective would be to end them being together. But I guess what's the question? Is it, are they together until death? Because in that case, yes. Absolutely. The death is just, you know, brought on sooner rather than later. Um, Will and Nick, should there be a Halloween 3 musical? Might I remind you? Uh, I'm gonna go no, personally. I'm gonna go yes, because I hate myself. (laughs) I think I have to say no because the movie is so incoherent i would love to know what a like john carpenter musical sounded like because i do like his scores but they're not ones that lend themselves well to like lyrics and so i would love to see what would happen if he did something like that um all right i think that is it for halloween three season of the witch a movie that needed more witches or less witches but they found the exact wrong level of witchiness which is one old irish guy (laughs) (laughs) um next week we will be covering the movie burnt offerings it sounds spooky no that's wrong that's wrong i'm looking at the wrong script next week we will be covering uh insert movie here will the invisible man the invisible man a movie i have seen it's a classic monster movie it's great would recommend especially if you don't have a lot of time, but you want to squeeze in a horror movie. Also, talk about a movie with great visual effects. Yes, for sure. What is that one? The Invisible Man. Yeah, should we talk it up since Nick doesn't know anything about it? I mean, we've reco- Will and I have recorded the episode, so... <laughs> I <laughs> like a month and a half ago. send that to you if you would like. <laughs> Sounds good. But yeah, until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts to help other people find the show. Last question, Nick. As our guest, what is the best piece of dating advice we got from this movie? Okay. So if your girlfriend gets turned into a a homicidal robot and tries to kill you multiple times in multiple ways via arm, leg, face, body, just walk like 10 feet away from the robot because then it won't be able to get to you. That made me laugh so hard that he would just, like, kick the thing that was attacking him away, stand still, another body part would come at him, he would get rid of it, continue to stand in the same place. It's also like he has a mission. He needs to go call the TV stations to turn off the commercial. And he's just like, "Mm, maybe I'll let her try to kill me another way. Just to see. I think he's a masochist, for sure. My dating advice is on behalf of Ellie, which is that you should not go on, like, out-of-town trips 
with people you just met. What happens to her? She gets killed and replaced with a robot. Um, my dating advice is don't share a motel room with a handsy drunk doctor, no matter how many times he did not, or he failed to save your husband or father's life. All right. Well, there you go. Until next time, I'm a ginger. (laughs) And I'm gay and I ran out of things to say because they both took my answers. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon, and remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it, and don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. Happy, happy Halloween, Halloween, Halloween.